Hello, I'm Kyle Johnson, and this is What Are You Reading? A podcast devoted to books and the perspectives of their readers. The curious first lines of today's book read, See the child, he is pale and thin, he wears a thin and ragged linen shirt, he stokes the scullery fire. Outside lie dark-turned fields with rags of snow, and darker woods beyond that harbor yet a few last wolves. Cormac McCarthy's dark, virtuosic tale of America's westward expansion has captured the imaginations of writers, historians, and critics alike. Today's episode is devoted to discussing the plot, style, and context and meaning behind a few important features of the work, as well as why McCarthy's 1985 epic will remain relevant in modern society. This is a great conversation about a great book, so please enjoy. My name is Jesse. Uh, I am a artist at heart. I'm a musician. I make music under the name Lesser Sparrow. I also have a background in teaching English. I'm excited to talk about books. Nice, nice. So, Jesse, what are you reading? I just finished Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian, and I have to say I've been thinking about it at least two times a day since finishing it. My favorite kind of media, be it a film or even a piece of music, especially a book, is just a book that I finish and leaves me with way more questions than answers. And I find myself sort of wanting more and falling into a rabbit hole of Wikipedia articles, into YouTube videos, into podcasts about that piece of work. And as soon as I finished Blood Meridian, I was desperate to keep learning and keep a sense of what I just read. McCarthy has a lot of allusions to other books and to other works. I'm interested in that now. So it's just led me to thinking even more outside of the book. Mm-hmm. Let's take a step back. I mean, what is Blood Meridian? What's the plot, if there is a plot? You know, I think any kind of plot synopsis doesn't do the book a lot of justice. Uh, it's not a very plot-heavy book, but essentially you are introduced right at the beginning to what you could say is the main character. Don't get his name at all. He's the kid for most of the book. And this is in the, you know, late 1800s as our country is sort of expanding out west. And we just follow this kid as he travels through the west, kind of as this brooding loner. And then he sort of makes his way into this gang of outlaws, essentially led by this character that we meet, the judge. And we basically follow him in this gang through expanse of the West told in this really beautiful language with consistent episodes of really extreme violence. (laughs) That is both shocking and it was really compelling, I guess is a better word. This gang that he is a part of, it just sinks deeper and deeper into violence and mayhem you start to get a sense that maybe the kid, our main character, is starting to have doubts about being a part of this group. But again, 
the beauty in this book is all the things that I didn't say, can't really say in a summary. I think that's just what makes it so masterful. Mm-hmm. I mean, what gives it that quality of sticking around in one's mind or what comes to mind when you are thinking about it? Well, I think on the surface, McCarthy just uses so many antiquated and for lack of a better term, like difficult language and vocabulary that you really almost have to have sort of like a pocket dictionary next to you while you read, which is something again on a reread, I think I'm going to do. So just his use of language is both incredible and sort of dumbfounding and mystifying, but it lends itself to asking lots of questions. The character of the judge just leaves you also scratching your head. Is he real? Is he based on a real person? There's moments throughout the book where he feels almost mythical, superhuman. He disappears. He reappears. The ending in a book that shares so many details, the most minute, beautiful details, I think I would imagine McCarthy left the ending a lot more open, very different than the rest of the book on purpose. You close the book and you're what what just happened there? How how did what really happened there at the end? It just all leads to asking more questions and diving into other literature to try to answer them. It's also important to note that we pretty much know that this gang, the Glanton gang, was an actual historical gang that existed. And there were bounties put on the heads of Native Americans. And so historically, I mean, the Glanton gang would go and would scalp the heads of Native Americans and would get money for that. So it's almost a historical account, historical fiction in a way. Yeah. One of the things I appreciate about this book is that it came into my life at a time when I've sort of been really questioning and unlearning a lot of the American history, among other things, that I was sort of brought up on and raised on. A lot of the information and entertainment and literature that Americans have been fed, myself included growing up, has been sort of the archetype of the heroic cowboy, Mm -hmm. westward expansion, manifest destiny, all these sort of virtuosic goals and what this book does through violence is really turn that mythology on its head. And I think it really speaks to show readers just how brutal we were as a culture as we took over the land that is the United States. And so a lot of the violence is this group of outlaws who are decimating natives throughout Texas and towards California into Mexico sort of pretending that they're doing this for noble reasons when in fact you can tell it sort of descends into almost fun into sport while it's fiction i think it speaks to american history a lot closer than a john wayne movie or a clint eastwood movie or deadwood on hbo or something you mentioned also one of the characteristics about the book is that there's some kind of arcane language some of the time the sentences are constructed in kind of odd ways. Did you get the same sense as you were reading? Absolutely. This is a book you cannot read casually. You really have to work. 
And it is tricky. I'm reminded of something closer to poetry. You know, grammar is a little out the window. And I'm, as a musician and a lyricist myself, I think that's another thing that really draws me into this book. It really requires a lot of focus. (laughs) Reading it aloud as you read it is really beneficial to really getting the more difficult parts of this book and just getting a sense of his language. Mm, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if you have any passages that maybe spoke to you that you could point out or read. Yeah, I would love to. You know, there's one that I think touches upon two things that we've already talked about, which is A, McCarthy's use of language, and B, the just sort of overwhelming violence in this book. I think left in less skilled hands, the violence would really be gratuitous and really turn a lot of people off. And I, I think in some cases it, it does no matter what, but McCarthy uses language in a way that somehow makes the most violent scenes still captivating, intriguing. You almost can't look away. Spectacle. It's, it's a spectacle. It re- That's exactly it. It's a spectacle. One that came to mind is towards the beginning of the book, there's definitely been violence before this part, but this is like the first real violence. Our main character, the kid is before he joins the Glanton gang, he's in this group of filibusters and they are ambushed by a group of Comanches. And a lot of it is one sentence. So it's just this incredibly long run on sentence, but really something to behold. So I'll read a bit. A legion of horribles, hundreds in number, half naked or clad in costumes, attic or biblical or wardrobed out of a fevered dream with the skins of animals in silk finery and pieces of uniform still tracked with the blood of prior owners, coats of slain dragoons, frogged and braided cavalry jackets, one in a stovepipe hat and one with an umbrella and one in white stockings and a blood-stained wedding veil and some in headgear and crane feathers or rawhide helmets that bore the horns of bull or buffalo, and one in a pigeon-tailed coat worn backwards and otherwise naked, one in the armor of a Spanish conquistador, the breastplate and pauldrons deeply dented with old blows of mace and saber done in another country by men whose very bones were dust, I'll stop there. It keeps going. But just um, in describing this band of um, Comanche coming over the ridge, didn't even really get into the violent part. It's just it's conjures up the most incredible visions just in literally one sentence. It's almost like if someone were just to try to describe a painting going from left to right. Mm. Totally. Yes. But also I was noticing as you read, there's a rhythm to it. It almost sounds like spoken word, at least the way that you read it. But there also is a kind of tendency for McCarthy to write lists when he portrays violence sometimes. Yes. I've heard that that in a way is um, an allusion to the writing in the Bible. There's a lot of biblical imagery in this book, just even the rhythm of the Bible You also mentioned that this book alludes to a lot of other literature, and I'm wondering what other books or literary works do you find in Blood Meridian? Yeah, I wish I was 
steeped in all of the books that he's pulling from, although it, it makes me want to go back and read some things. I know that a big, important reference for McCarthy is Moby Dick. There's comparisons made between the judge and Captain Ahab. Yes, we're following the kid here as sort of the main character, but the judge is really the character of this book. He's the most compelling. He's he's the villain. Comparisons have been made to the judge and the devil in general, even more specifically Milton's devil from Paradise Lost. Mm. As terrible of a character as a human he is in this book, there is something compelling, something almost charming about him. He sort of lulls you into almost being like, hmm, I, you know what? <laughs> Maybe I agree with that. Again, I think that's the point in Paradise Lost. The Satan character is is portrayed in a very similar way. He's likable. <laughs> He's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He has some really eloquent speeches in the book. He has moments where he tells campfire stories. Mm-hmm. And they're like really disturbing <laughs> stories that if you were actually sitting around a campfire listening to that, it might be kind of cool stories, you know? Yes, exactly. The other moment that I found super haunting is just the end. Apparently, they're in some kind of saloon and people are dancing and music Mm -hmm. is playing. And the judge is there. And the final image of the novel is that of the judge. I'll read through it. They are dancing. The board floor slamming under the jackboots and the fiddlers grinning hideously over their canted pieces. Towering over them all is the judge. And he is naked dancing his small feet lively and quick and now in double time and bowing to the ladies, huge and pale and hairless like an enormous infant. He never sleeps, he says. He says he'll never die. He bows to the fiddlers and sachets backwards and throws back his head and laughs deep in his throat and he is a great favorite, the judge. He wafts his hat and the lunar dome of his skull passes palely under the lamps, and he swings about and takes possession of one of the fiddles, and he pirouettes and makes a pass, two passes, dancing and fiddling at once. His feet are light and nimble. He never sleeps. He says that he will never die. He dances in light and in shadow, and he is a great favorite. He never sleeps, the judge. He is dancing, dancing. He says that he will never die. My goodness, my goodness. For me, I think, again, it it speaks to the otherworldliness of the judge. And you've just come to the end of a long, arduous epic following the kid and the judge. At the end of it, he is smiling. He wins, in a sense, in a book that's not so clearly about winning and losing. For me, I think it speaks to what the judge represents there's an earlier passage during one of his campfire tales about how war is inevitable. It's, it's really what he believes to be the ultimate truth of mm-hmm. life on this planet. And reading this book in current days and just thinking about all the history, thinking about the 80s when this was written and thinking about the 1860s when this book was taking place, it's harrowing to be like, wow, you know, is the judge winning here? Is war and pain sort of this inevitable force that we have to endure. And that's really bleak. And I promise I'm a happier person than what that all sounds like. But I think it's it's so interesting, really sort of just questioning 
what it means to be human. To speaking of that, I was reading this book when the school shooting happened in Texas in Uvalde, and I couldn't help but trace the tragedy of this book, where a lot of it is happening in that same area of the world and tracing it to something that's happening in modern day. At the same time, he's speaking to the human condition and the violence that was happening to make this country in a very distant way contributes to the violence that we're seeing today. Mm, Interesting. Are there any other things about Blood Meridian that you'd like to mention? Wow. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I know it's the type of book that you'll never exhaust different things to talk about. You know, if you're looking for a challenge, but one that if you like those kinds of books and media that, that really leave you wanting more answers or more background, this is a book that I think falls into that sort of canon. You can't be squeamish. <laughs> There's, it's definitely a violent book. But like I said, I think it's done in a way that um, is really captivating. I think everyone who loves books and who loves literature, especially American literature, should make their way to Blood Meridian at one point or another. Today's guest was Jesse Stanford, who writes and produces music under the name Lesser Sparrow, and who discussed Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. If today's title interests you, please consider purchasing a copy from the bookshop.org link in the show notes. Buying from here supports local bookshops and this podcast. The music heard on What Are You Reading is from the album Wallflower by percussionist Julian Loida. If you liked what you heard today, please consider following and leaving the show a good rating and review, as this helps us reach interested listeners. If you have extra feedback or an idea for a title or genre you'd like represented, you can contact me using the email address in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, happy reading!